You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, and turn to Esther chapter number four. And uh, it is an honor to preach the Word of God, and I, I love Pastor deeply, and I thank the Lord for the opportunity to preach the Word of God, and I love my church family. It's almost been three years that we've had the privilege to serve alongside of you, and we did leave wonderful people of the Lord and, and family members there, but uh, there's nothing like following the leading of the Lord and just being in the center of His will. And as you yoke up with people and serve with them, you learn to love them and to know them and understand them and to serve with you. What a thrill and a joy uh, it has been and uh, how humble I am uh, for the opportunity to serve the Lord with such a wonderful church family. And uh, I enjoyed Sunday school this morning with Mrs. Treber. That was fantastic. And I I already put a word in. I said, Pastor, can my wife teach next week? If your wife was nice to you last week, maybe my wife will be nice to me this week. If she gets a chance to say something, that'd be great. But uh, anyhow, we're in Esther chapter number uh, four. And if you're on the platform and having a hard time finding that, just go to the book of Job and you can turn back uh, a few pages. I know some of the men had a hard time finding Ruth a few weeks ago. And so I wanted to help them out there. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. I've spent a lot of time in the book of Esther this past week or so, and I really believe that it was love that motivated her heart uh, to step in and, and to go into the inner court and uh, as, we, as we study this book this morning, I am so thankful for the godly ladies of North Valley Baptist Church who faithfully serve the Lord here. Vashti was a godly queen, and we're thankful that she didn't follow the king's command. And, and uh, through the providence of God, he brought Esther on the scene. And uh, I'm so thankful for these godly examples. But we look down in chapter 4, and the Bible says, and... Uh, Verse number 14, it's a very familiar verse. The very end of the verse, it says, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And uh, I want to have you hold your spot here. We're going to look at different passages in the book of Esther. And uh, this, these events took place in 483 B.C. And uh, as you study the Word of God, it takes place between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. King Ahasuerus is a Persian ruler here. And there are two messages that the king sends out uh, during uh, Queen Esther's reign, uh, at the time that she was the queen there in his reign, I should say it that way. The first message that went out while Esther was queen is a message of death. We're going to see this message in chapter 3. So if you want to turn back to chapter 3, we're going to take a look at that in a minute. And uh, in chapters 1 and 2, Vashti and Esther are real prominent. Then we get to chapter 3 and 4, and a, a godless man by the name of Haman is very prominent, and a man by the name of Mordecai is very prominent. Mordecai was a godly man, and uh, he was Esther's uh, older cousin who raised Esther. And uh, he was a godly man, and he was a man who sat at the king's gate, and he overheard a few men that uh, were 
conspiring to kill the king. And so he tells Esther about the plot, and Esther lets the king know, and sure enough, it's found out that they were plotting to kill the king, and it's written in the, in the, uh, the king's chronicles there, and the men are hanged on a tree. And, uh, and then this man, Haman, gets promoted. Right after this takes place at the end of chapter 2, Haman gets promoted in chapter 3, this godless man, and he becomes the author of some radical legislation. Because of a bitterness and pride in his heart towards a godly man named Mordecai who refused to bow down and worship anyone other than God. And I, I want you to see the devastation of this legislation in chapter 3 and beginning in verse number 13. The Bible says, as you look together, and the letters were sent by posts. By the way, this is the post office, all right? These, these are messengers into all the king's provinces. There's 127 of them. To destroy, to kill, to cause to perish. Look at this, these next two words. All Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month. Now they had cast lots as to determine when they were going to fulfill uh, this wicked legislation. And the lot fell late in the year. That was the providential hand of God. I'll take note of that in a minute or two. And it allowed uh, Esther and Mordecai time to to pray and to make preparation. But it goes on to say, which is the month Adar, and, and to take the spoils of them for prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment is to be given in every province which was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The post, take note of that statement there, went out, being hastened by the king's command, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king uh, and Haman, look at this, they sat down to drink. Here's this wicked legislation going out, and here's Haman and the king sitting down to eat and drink in Shushan. And there, there's much people there that are perplexed. What, a, what an unbelievable story that is unfolding for us. It's very obvious that Haman was not familiar with Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3, where God says, listen, I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. It was not understood by Haman that he that was rolling a stone that was going to roll back upon him. And the very gallows he's going to build in the next few chapters for Mordecai are the very gallows that God's going to make sure he's hung on. So the first message is a message of, of death. But I want you to notice with me a second message. Let's go to chapter 8, if you would. And I'm not going to take time to read this, but, uh, but it, it, it overturns this legislation that's been passed. And I want you to see uh, verse number 16 this message of great deliverance. And uh, I'm going to walk you through just what takes place in chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. Chapter number 5, Esther's intercession takes place as she goes into the inner court. We'll take a look at that in a moment. And, and then we come to chapter 6, and Mordecai now is exalted. And chapter 7, we see Haman's downfall. And then we see this new legislation in chapter number 8. This legislation brings great joy. Look with me at verse 16. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor in every province and in every city, whethersoever the king's commandment and his decree came. And the Jews had, uh, and, and, the, and the leader became, uh, and the land, excuse me, I skipped ahead. Of, uh, there was a feast uh, and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews. Look at this. There's many that are converted for fear of the Jew, the fear of the Jews that fell upon them. So we, we, we see that many people now are getting converted over what's taken place. And by the way, there are other examples in the Word of God where God's people took a stand for truth and many people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of it. 
Now, I have to ask the question, what was it that changed the heart of the king? Between this first uh, message that goes out and the second message that goes out, what was it that brought about a change in the king's heart? And I'm reminded that Proverbs 21 and verse number 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. I would submit to you just a couple of reasons. First of all, the divine hand and providence of God. God's name is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther, and yet his hand is nowhere missing in the entirety of the book. God seems to be standing somewhere in the shadows ruling and overruling throughout the entirety of this book. As we study the book, we see God's providential work taking place as Esther is chosen to be the queen in chapter 2. We see God's providential hand uh, in chapter, the end of chapter 2 as Mordecai discovers this plot to kill the king and, and then it's recorded in the, in the king's uh, uh, chronicle, uh, chronicles. We see the providential hand of God as Haman cast lots to determine when uh, this terrible legislation was going to come to pass to destroy all of the Jews. And this resulted in a, uh, the later part of the year and gave them time to pray and make plans in chapter number 7 because of the providential hand of God. We see, because of the providential hand of God, the king who welcomes Esther into his inner court in chapter 5, after ignoring her for about a month, knowing that he could have killed her when she entered into that inner court. We see the providential hand of God uh, with the king's patience with Esther as she uh, throws a banquet and asks him to come back the second day to a second banquet. We see the providential hand of God as the king cannot sleep at night. The very night that this wicked Haman was building gallows to hang Mordecai, the king is up that night reading in the, chron in, in the chronicles about what Mordecai had done for him that very night and saved his life. The king's deep concern for Esther's welfare at that second uh, a banquet that they held uh, and the king having to choose between Esther and Haman, we see the providential hand of God at work. So what was it that changed the heart of the king from the first message to the second? First of all, it was the divine hand and providence of God. But I would say, secondly, by way of introduction, it was the depth of heart and passion of Esther for her people. She loved the people of God. I'd like for you to look with me at chapter 4. In verse number 8, as Mordecai is speaking to her, he says, Also I gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them and to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to uh, change her and to charge her that she should go into the king and to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. So Mordecai mentions that it's her people that she's going to make this petition and this supplication for. Look with me now, if you would, at chapter 7 and look down at verse number 3. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, look at this, and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and, here it is again, my people. Look with me at chapter 8 and verse number 6. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come to, uh, unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? 
We see the love that Esther had for the people of God. And I'm reminded of what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.15. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Esther was willing to be a living sacrifice. And as we uh, go to chapter 4, please, with me, and we see really this chapter unfold for us, it reveals the very heart of Esther, her deep love for the people of God at this critical moment of history. And as we examine this, I want you to see that this was a moment of extreme urgency. This verse that we're so familiar with for such a time as this, chapter 4 and Verse number 14, if you would, look with me. He says, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This was a moment of urgency. This declaration had gone forth that was going to kill all the Jews, all the women, and all the children. The need was great, and the hour was late. But I'm also reminded of a law that went forth that reminds all of us today and all the world that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And I'm reminded that Jesus came. And the Bible tells us that He came in Galatians 4.4 when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. I don't know about you, but I love the song At the Right Time. It's song number 321. If you have a chance to turn in your hymnal and look at these words, at the time of God's own choosing, He came. When we the fight were losing, He came. Long before we knew Him, when we were lost in sin, at the right time, at the best time, He came. When the night was cold and dreary, He came. To His children, worn and weary, He came. To bring us out of darkness and make us His again at the right time at the best time He came. Aren't you glad Jesus came? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're lost and without Christ, if you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to make this day the day of salvation. I can look back on my life and tell you that as about a six-year-old boy, I realized I was a sinner and I realized I needed a Savior, that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He came to this sin-cursed earth. He lived a perfectly sinless life and He died in my stead to pay for my sins and the sins of this world. He didn't stay dead. On that third day, He rose from the grave. Easter is four weeks away. Amen. I love the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He ascended to heaven and He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Boy, what a joy it is. That day that I realized I needed to accept Christ as my Savior to receive Him as my Lord and Savior. The moment is urgent. It's urgent in receiving Christ. Not only was it an urgent moment, but it was an exceptional opportunity. Because Esther had come in that statement in verse 14 to the kingdom. She was prepared to enter into the king's inner court. Just as we've mentioned that God's providential hand had brought Esther into the kingdom, but it was, God's, it, was, it was God's favor that He gave the king for Esther that gave her this opportunity to come into the inner court. But this, this law uh, was in such a way that if Esther didn't find favor with the king and he didn't hold out that golden scepter, she would be killed. Look with me at chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court and uh, in the king's house. 
over against the king's house at the king sat upon his royal throne at the royal house and over against the gate of the house and so it was while the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter in his hand and Esther drew near and touched the top what a wonderful opportunity Esther had to go in uh, to the inner court for the people of God to intercede on behalf of God's people. I don't know about you this morning, but what a wonderful opportunity that you and I have day in and day out to go into the inner court uh, of our prayer room in our prayer closets, to, to go into the, into the holy of holies, really, and to boldly a, a, approach the throne of grace on behalf of others. As we think about neighbors and we think about relatives and we think about co-workers that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, people who are perishing and lost in their sin. And I'm reminded of the great opportunity that you and I have to pray on their behalf and beseech the throne of God. Because Esther was living in the palace, she alone was the one that could plead for her people. It was an exclusive responsibility. Thou, Esther, art come, verse 14 says. God's providential hand had not only brought Esther to the kingdom, but the king's favor has given Esther the opportunity to use her influence, but now her love for God's people is going to cause her to recognize the responsibility she has to put her life on the line. I want you to go back to chapter 4, and I want you to see with me verse number 16. She, the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 16, "...go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, Esther says, and..." Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Here's what Esther said. I'm, I'm going to have to go into the inner court because somebody's got to do the job. And she was willing to say, if I perish, I perish. This reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ who said to the Father, he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus came to this sin-cursed earth and he knew that he was going to the cross to pay our sin debt. Esther willingly was willing to give her life for all. So we see, first of all, there was this message of death. And then we see, secondly, there's a message of life because of Esther's willingness to, to go into the inner court and petition the king. But I'm reminded of an Old Testament that tells us that we're all guilty before a holy God. And I, I'm reminded of a New Testament that tells us that Jesus paid our sin debt. And I'm reminded of two messages in one verse. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as the first message was a message of death, the law was given to show us that we're all guilty before a holy God. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. No, now we know that all things whatsoever they, the, the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But I'm thankful this morning for a second message 
a message of life found in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ and hath made us free from the law of sin and death. My friend, what good news this morning. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. How much also he is the mediator, just as Esther was, of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. You see, the old covenant was a covenant of death as you consider all of the sacrificial lamb year after year after year. And yet we come to the New Testament as John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now how can we apply these truths to our lives? I know I tried to do my best to give us a, a, a summary of the book of Esther, which is a challenge, and I stumbled up a little bit here and there with all of that. It's such a rich book, and there's so much you can draw from it. I, I want to give us several thoughts. First of all, we need to recognize that we are the remnant. God's people are a remnant in the world today. As, as I think of what's happening in various places of this world, my heart cries out in prayer for those who are God's people who are going through difficult challenges. And in this time of extreme urgency, an exceptional opportunity as Esther had, we have to be reminded that we are the remnant. But I want you to notice with me also that we must remember we have a great responsibility. Just as Esther had to come boldly to the throne of grace, I'm reminded of Hebrews 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Listen, in time of need. There's perhaps never been a greater time of need in world history. Our world's population is about to hit 8 billion people. It's doubled in the last 45 years. 45 years ago, it was at 4 billion. It was at the highest that it's ever been 45 years ago. God desires to use your life and mine to realize that we've been given an urgent moment in all of world history and a great responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. But I want you to realize that we need to make sure that we recognize that we've been called to a ministry of reconciliation. Paul tells the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now that word reconciliation deals with atonement and restoration. Verse 19 goes on to say, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not by imputing their trespasses unto them, but he hath committed unto us, listen, the word of reconciliation. Do you know what this book is that I hold in my hand right here? This is the word of reconciliation. And this is the word of atonement and restoration. And God in heaven today looks down on a world that's nearing 8 billion people. 
And my mind has a hard time wrapping around the fact that there are 7,000 languages in our world today approximately. And I've tried to study this out and talk to various people and read articles. And there's somewhere between 6,900 and 7,200 languages. So about 7,000 languages in the world today. And it's heartbreaking to stop and consider all of these languages when you realize that 3,000 languages with over 380 million people have no part of the Word of God that has been translated in their language. My heart breaks as I consider that. Jesus ran to His responsibility as He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And may you and I in this day and hour run to our responsibility. And I ponder this story. I come to the conclusion of this message today. And that simply is, who do you and I, who do you and I represent in the book of Esther? You see, there are some who are like Haman. They, they want to destroy God's people and they would love to legislate God out of their lives. But I'm reminded that those people have their day of judgment coming. And then there are those who are like King Ahasuerus, who, boy, he just wants to eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy the journey of life, not really caring about anyone or anything but himself. But there are very few, very few Christians who are like Esther, who deeply love the people of God, who deeply love uh, the, the, the work of God and are willing to lay down their lives to intercede on the behalf of others. But can I submit to you this morning, there is an unforgotten group of people in this story as well. And I mentioned them a few times. Look with me, if you would, at chapter 8. And I'll close with this thought now. I'm not going to be lengthy. Chapter 8, I prayed and asked the Lord to help me summarize the book of Esther quickly this morning. But look with me at chapter 8 and verse number 14. The Bible says... I hope I didn't get the wrong verse. Oh, oh somehow I, I, moved to the, I moved to Job. I was talking about Job. I don't know how I turned over there. Chapter 8, verse 14. It says, So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened, look at this, and pressed on by the king's, what? Commandment. And the decree that was given at Shushan the palace. Can I be reminded... And can you be reminded this morning that we've been given a commandment. It's called the Great Commission. We've been given this Great Commission by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful, Pastor, for Golden State Baptist College. And what a joy it is to have young people preparing to serve the Lord and to go out in gospel ministry. And I saw Cherith Henderson down here. My wife talks about her all the time. She's getting married this summer. We're so happy for her and her husband going into ministry. But may God raise up an army of young people that will go around the globe that will go across our country and up and down our state with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But I'm also praying that God would raise up some young people in this day and hour that will get burdened about taking the gospel to an unreached people group. A group that has no hope, that's never heard the name of Jesus. A people group that has no hope of holding a copy of the Word of God. And may you and I be the people of God as I think back on my grandmother years ago who would have a, a, a map of the globe on her bed and, 
Every day and many times during the week, she'd be found kneeling at her bed praying that God would send missionaries to, to various countries of this world. And there's an open door of opportunity for God's people now to intercede on the behalf of those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. My heart breaks as I think about, Pastor, what's taking place in Ukraine. I had the privilege to lead a young lady to Christ in our home about 10 years ago from Ukraine. Her and her husband and her children were there and the husband had already trusted Christ and they both got baptized. Her mother came to this country from the Ukraine to visit and my mother led her mother to Christ. And while my heart aches and breaks for those and the difficulties and the circumstances and we need to be continually praying for that country, my heart cries out for the millions of people and the billions of people who will live and die in this generation without ever hearing the name of Jesus, without ever, ha ever having the hope of having, having the Word of God. And as I think about the post that it talks about there in chapter 8, these were the people, these were the messengers that carried the message because of the king's command. God's command hasn't changed anymore in 2022. And I'm reminded of God's people. I know we've got members here and you've got your jobs here. We're not telling you to uproot and leave. No, 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 no. You're supporting a ministry that's sending out those that are called of God to go and praise God for that. But God's command has not changed. The Great Commission has not changed. I wonder this morning who would say, Lord, here am I, send me. I wonder what member here this morning would say, Easter is four weeks away. We're three months into this uh, month and Easter is next month. We're four, we're four Sundays away. And I've got a coworker I've been praying for. By the grace of God, I'm going to intercede on their behalf. I've got a neighbor that's lost and without Christ. And by the grace of God, I'm going to intercede on their behalf. And I've got a, a coworker, I've got a relative that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, I'm going to intercede on their behalf. But I wonder who this morning in this service, and every church service we need to be working obviously to bring people. But as I look across the auditorium, and I know we haven't been here that long, but I see people here that my wife and I had the privilege to have to our home who trusted Christ as their Savior. And I see a door that we knocked on over here and uh, it's in church today. What a blessing that is. And, and uh, Brother Medicondo and I were out last Saturday and a family that came to church last week. What a blessing. May God use our lives to impact this world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.